Lord God, thank you for your presence with us. By your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, thank you that we have the presence of Jesus in a way that even Moses didn't have because of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you would speak to us this morning in the way that you want to. May we be open to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a burglar who um, broke into a house and it was dark um, and uh, he found himself in the sitting room and um, as he was sort of scrambling around the sitting room he heard a voice that said, I'm watching you and Jesus is watching you. He was thinking, what's happening here? Anyhow, he scrambled around a little bit further and he heard the voice, he said, I'm watching you but Jesus is watching you. So I don't know what that is. So he thought, right. He reached across to the light and put the light on. Uh, at that moment, he heard the phrase, I'm watching you, but Je- and Jesus is watching you. He thought, looked around, and he could see a cage in the corner. And there was this parrot there. And he went over to him and said, you know what? You didn't half upset me. And you sort of, you know, pinpointing, what's your name? Fred. He said, Fred? That's a stupid name for a parrot. And he said, maybe. But then Jesus is a stupid name for a Rottweiler. (laughs) You can laugh, okay? It's a joke, all right? You can laugh, all right? So often we can't hear or see what is going on around us. We're not aware what's going on around us. And as a leader... It's an absolute privilege leading this church. It really is. Almost seven years this summer I've been here. And I've got to say it's um, an incredible privilege to lead this family. We've been through lots of ups and downs. There's been a a journey in lots of ways. Uh, God has brought us through COVID and we're rebuilding and growing and seeing just people come to Jesus and encounter him. And we were thinking before the service, the goodness of God is so real. And true. And I've got to say, as a leader, it's a privilege. But you know what? Being a leader as well is a fascinating thing. Because you're trying to trying to take a bunch of people on a journey. You're trying to uh, take people in a in a way that hopefully is going to be glorifying to God in some way. And you're trying to hear God's voice in the midst of just the stuff of trying to lead and run. And you know, Moses in this passage here. And we've been reading through this stuff the last few days as a church as we've been working through uh, places like Exodus. It's an amazing thing. I I feel very much a bit like Churchill when Churchill said at at wartime, he said this, success is, um, is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's courage to continue that counts. And there's so often a sense as a leader when we're trying to hear the times and sense the times of what God is doing and then take people on that journey that that's going on. And here, at the beginning of Exodus, we have this amazing moment. 3,500 years ago, God has done an incredible thing. He's brought the people out of Israel, uh, out of Egypt, the Israelites, and he's delivered them. He's, they even plundered the, the uh, Egyptians on the way out. He defeated the army. God has appeared to them on Mount Sinai. And they knew they were the treasure possession of God. And yet, they still had their struggles and moaned and mumbled. And he was finding it a difficult time 
to lead. And boy, do we live in challenging times. The world is largely, large parts of the world is at war. We hear about the main ones and conflicts, but there are many countries at war. We live in a nation in immense turmoil. We live in a church and a part of a church that is in chaos in so many different ways. It's General Synod this weekend. There is real change in the air. So many things happening, even at Christchurch itself. We are growing. As I say, we've, uh, we're seeing incredible signs of life. Our kids and, and um, youth workers seeing amazing things happen. We're getting regularly over 50 children young people every Sunday morning. We've become much more of an intercultural church. There's, there's so many things that, us to, that, that can encourage us, but then there are also challenges. James Herring's moving on. Uh, we've got changes around the office. We've got areas where it seems like God is pruning us and things that we're having to sort of lay down like food bank and renew and other things like that. It's like changes in the air in a whole load of different ways. The open door centre has had some good things happen to it. The uh, kitchen's virtually finished. There's other things, but it's like, what has God got for that place? What has God got for us? So there's so many things rumbling around in my mind and buzzing around in my mind. I, 24-7, unfortunately, are a aware of these things and thinking about these things and in the midst of it what's one's natural reaction well my natural reaction as who I am is very often just to begin to plan my way out of it I shared this the other week to try and strategize and yes there needs to be that you can't just sort of wobble along you need to have some direction and focus but I felt the Lord say very clearly to me wait on me wait on me and part of me within myself as someone who drives on is to do that is a big thing and a major thing. But I'm encouraging us, the church, to wait on God. And I've loved the fact that for myself, I've also been reading from Genesis a lot slower than was being read this week through Genesis. And I want to read the Bible during this year myself. But as I've read it and as we've read it, I come across this amazing few verses here in uh, Exodus. We find ourselves uh, in this place where, hopefully, the next one. Yeah. And we're thinking about vision today. And I want you to hold that word vision. Because for Moses, at this moment, he had to stop and he had to think. And there's three things that really struck me about his relationship with God. And I think this is a word for us as individuals and for us as a church. And I think it should frame our vision for the next Period. Chapter 33, verse 12. Moses said to the, uh, to the Lord, you've been telling me lead these people. He speaks to me and says, you're leading these people. And then he says, but you have not let me know whom you will send me. And he goes on to say, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour. What he's saying is, I need your help. I need your help, Lord. But he said, I don't just want to know about you. I want to know you. And I think God is wanting to challenge us, every single one of us, that God wants this sort of relationship with us. This isn't about a knowledge thing, about knowing about God, but it's a knowing, intimate relationship with him. Packer, J.I. Packer once wrote in his book, Knowing God, said, A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about him. 
And there's something different about that. And that is the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does. For me, he took me from a place many years ago, but actually continues to do, from knowing about God to knowing God. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Someone else has said, what makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this is what the Christ follower has in a way no other person has. For what higher, more exalted and more compelling goal can there be to know God? Friends, God is challenging us to church, as church to say, are you going to know me more? Are you going to give yourself to know me more? Not know me about me, but know me more. As we know in any relationship that's worth anything, you can know about the person, but actually, do you know them? You know, before I met Mary, I knew about her. And I could tell you all about her stunning good looks, her intellect, her excellent cooking, her love of films, a whole load of things. But you know what? I can know about those things. But having lived with her for 35 years, is it 35? Yeah, it's 35 this year. I know her. I know her because I've experienced it. I've lived. I know her. Now, that has taken intentionality. And to be fair, recently, to be fair, I've probably operated a bit in an arrangement. I'm being upfront about, like I've known about her. Some challenge in my own relationship with my wife. We've probably operated more like flatmates sometimes recently. And sometimes we can be like that with God, can't we? That somehow we, we, we have this arrangement And we're aware that God's around, but we haven't actually stepped out and said, am I intentionally going to know you more? Am I going to spend time with you more? He's calling us to know him. He's inviting us to follow him. You know, why would the disciples have followed him and walked with him? And this thing that we're going to be going in the next few weeks is so gripping my heart. These three chord things, if you like, that are talked about in Practicing the Way. There's a brilliant book at the back by John Mark Comer that's really blessed me. But he talks about, as a disciple, an apprentice of Rabbi Jesus, we're called to walk with him, to become like him, and do what he calls us to do. And he's inviting us to enter in. You know, the word Christian is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. The word disciple is 268 times. Jesus never called us to be a Christian. Controversial. But that word Christian just means, doesn't it? For many people, if you say the word Christian to many people, what does that mean? A Christian just means, well, someone who sort of understands some sort of ways of living that seem a bit different. And maybe somewhere where you go to church from time to time. And maybe to try and be goodish. Jesus didn't call us to that. He said, if you follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me to be a disciple and apprentice. I think God is calling us to something deeper, to know him more. So firstly, Lord, I want to know you more. May that be the cry of our hearts. Secondly, Moses moves on from saying about knowing. He moves on. He says, I don't just want to know you. 
Verse 14, the Lord replied to this question about knowing. He said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And basically says, unless you go with us, we're going to be no different to anybody else. What do we have but you alone? Your presence. So we can know him. But I think God is calling us into a place of saying, we want your presence. It's an interesting point that, isn't it? Interesting question. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the heavens uh, friends you ever had on earth, with all the food you ever liked, with all the leisure activities, physical pleasures, no human conflict, natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Absolutely not, Moses says. Absolutely not. However tempting that might be. The question is, Moses saying, I crave your presence. I cannot do anything without your presence. We need your presence. Individually, corporately, we need the presence of God. We need his presence with us. If we don't have his presence, then we will never be any different to anyone else. One of the biggest challenges of many churches is that church can carry on. Church can continue. But without the presence of the Holy Spirit, all it is is an organisation. It's not a living organism. We need his presence. I love this story from a few years ago of a Chinese pastor who, was, uh, who spent 16 years in prison for his faith. Incredibly hard. And he ended up going through, uh, in that time, he spent most of his time what he called his dream job, which was emptying the human waste cesspit. He says this, it was more than two meters in breadth and two meters in length. It was filled with human waste collected from the entire camp. Because the pit was so deep, I couldn't reach the bottom to empty it. So I had to walk into disease-ridden mass, scoop out successive layers of waste, all the time breathing the strong stench. The guards and the prisoners kept a long way off because of the smell. So why did I enjoy working in the cesspool? In the labour camp, all the prisoners were normally under strict surveillance. No one else could be alone. But when I worked in the cesspool, I could be alone and could pray to the Lord as loudly as I needed. No one was close enough to protest. I sang hymns and shouted out scripture. And when I did that, I experienced the Lord's presence. In that time, the cesspool became my private garden. God is calling us not just to know him, but to crave his presence. To crave his presence. We need his presence. We can have all the plans, the programs, the strategies, even continue church life, but we need his presence. I am sorry, myself, as a leader, so often I've functioned church life without saying, Lord, we need your presence. Moses said, we need your presence. We need God's presence. How often do you say before you come on a Sunday morning, we want the presence of God in that place. 
Because when we say when two or three are gathered, God is in the midst. God is in the midst. It is his presence by his Holy Spirit. But how many of us pray on a Saturday night, set time and said, you know what? Tomorrow morning, God is going to be present. And it is a tangible thing that we can know when God is present. We can see what God is doing. We begin to sense spiritually something's happening because you see, ultimately, Moses shifts it on as well. Because the third thing is about, he says, I want to know you. I want your presence. But finally, I want, he says here, show me your glory. He's not just satisfied with friendship, not just satisfied with his, God's presence. Show me your glory. The audacity to ask for the glory of God. Verse 18, show me your glory. John Piper describes it as the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. He'd already seen glimpses of God's glory on the mountaintop, in the burning bush and other places, but he wanted to see the fullness of God's greatness. And God grants it, well, sort of. Because actually, to see God's glory completely, he said, will wipe you out. But he sees part of himself as he passes by. He saw part of his glory. And you see, we crave, don't we, transcendence and glory. Whether it's in our team winning, our team getting through to witness landscapes and sunsets to try amazing foods. But I want to say none of it, none of it can satisfy the glory of God. And you see, the thing is, the glory of God is available to us because of Jesus. As it says in John 1, it says, We have seen his glory. The word made flesh has dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son of the the Father, full of grace and truth. It's no easy vision statement, but the most simple vision that we might know him more. Would you begin to pray that? Over this place. Would you begin to pray that into Barnet? Would you begin to pray that into your neighborhood, into your neighbors, into the people you work with, into people who know that I may know him more, that I may know his presence more, and that I may see his glory? Would we not want to see his glory and his might and his goodness? That is a vision worth fighting for, that is a vision worth living for. Moses himself craved that, and may we crave that. Our vision, as you know, is transformation. It's a huge word, but it's a powerful word. The transformation, Barnet Beyond, with the love of Jesus, one life at a time. If you're new, Otto might not have even heard it before. But that's what he's about, as well as I'm about as being part of what God wants to do in this place. Not, as it says in Romans 12, as we've read about the last few weeks, confirmation, conformation to the world. We're not conformed to this world, but we are transforming. We're transforming agents, but we can only transform our culture and our place if we are craving the presence of God and the knowledge of God and his glory. I want to be part of a transformation business, seeing lives transformed on a regular basis, one life at a time, with the love of Jesus. Imagine what we can be. Imagine up. Imagine that this would be increasingly a place of encounter. Well, when we come through the door on a Sunday, it's like, I, I can't, I, I, you know, I got up this morning really early because I just wanted to be here. 
Imagine that as a place of worship. That actually each morning when we get up, we say, I can't wait to get up because I wanted to be there. I wanted that heart of worship. I can't make this, you do this, guys. But all I can do is say, I want to enter into that. I want to press into that. Would you be part of that? That we would have prayer. It's just something we do. That we would be desiring to hear the voice of God for our lives and for people. That Jesus is at work in this place. That we'd invest time into our gatherings. You know, we had a wonderful time yesterday. We had about 30 plus people here for a school of the spirit. I just encourage you to come to the next one in four weeks time. So we're going to spend time understanding about the spirit. It wasn't weird. It was a beautiful time. And people were prayed for. And people met Jesus. It's the place of our worship. A place where the broken hearted can come. The wrecked can come. The ones who are struggling as we worship up in. Worship in. Imagine that we are growing disciples. We can't help to encourage one another to say, how are you doing with the word? How are you doing in the Bible? How's it going? We're saying, I've got to get to Connect Group. There's nothing that's going to stop me. I've got to get there because I want to discover more. I want to build rich relationships. I want to discover those things. I want to build my life about practicing in a whole life way that just grows. I want to focus on some things. Next few weeks, we're going to look at some interesting stuff. Next week, I'm going to talk about fasting. You know, Jesus said when you fast, it was part of his lifestyle, was part of his culture. We've lost it, but there is a place for it. So much in enriching, knowing more of God. What is Sabbath? What does it mean to truly Sabbath, minister out of rest? I'm way behind the curveball on that. What does it mean to live in simplicity? What does it mean to live in generosity? What does it mean to all these practices we're going to start working out together as a church family? I'm excited about it. It's going to be challenging, but good to create that sort of community. Imagine up in worship, in in terms of encouraging one another and discipling one another, and out. Imagine that this will be a place truly where all can come, lost, least, lonely, Challenged mentally, challenged, and we have such a way to go, but we're on our way. People from whatever background can know that to be true, that we can make something like the Open Door Centre and other opportunities. Yes, we're laying down certain things, but there's going to be new things that God's going to birth in our midst, new ways of reaching freshly into our community. I'd love for us to plant more expressions of Christchurch elsewhere, to be building and seeing that happen in the life of churches. So what does that mean? I want to just encourage you briefly as we finish to commit to play your part. Many of you have been around this church for years and you are committed and you give of yourselves in so many ways and I bless you so much for you. I really do. And this is just an encouragement. We have four things. There's a massive sign up at the back which backs it up, but these things come. You know, I don't know many disciples of Jesus that are growing who don't make church the priority of their life and their family. It's hard to continue as a Christian if you don't come together regularly. You know what? There are people across this globe, in the churches that are growing in this globe, where literally to go to church they could be killed or they could be tortured or they could be arrested. But they make it a priority to get there if they meet in secret. 
few weeks' time, we've got the Open Door team are coming to help the young people, and they're going to do a secret church. And yet, for us, it's so easy. We have the choice. We live in a consumerist culture. I think God is challenging us to come together, bring us together, encourage us to do that. Make it a priority. Model it to our children. Prepare for encounters. Secondly, belong. I know most, a lot of you have been in groups or have been involved in groups. Commit into your groups. As a connect group leader, it is one of the most challenging bits when people can't make it. I just miss them. I miss them not being there. And I know lots of people, very, very busy lives. But if we're truly going to know God's blessing, we need to belong and feel part of things. Thirdly, serve. Many of you, again, serve in so many different ways. But we have options and openings for people to welcome at the door. We're a little bit down on people to welcome at nine o'clock, for example. We, we need people who can help with reading the Bible, who can lead in prayers, just as part of this family. You know, it doesn't take a huge amount to do. I know Mel did a great job today, and she had her laptop up here, and all, all very impressively, marvellous. But I, I, you know, I'm sure there's moments when she thinks, you know, someone else could do this as well. She's great. She's brilliant. But there are others here I know that could do that. Let's get involved. You know, the children's work is really struggling. And there's something about feeding into the next generation. You know what? Maybe that's an option for you to think about. Come along at nine and then you could help out at 10.45. That could be one way. There are lots of ways that you could be involved. Over 50 kids and young people every week and we are really stretched there. But what an opportunity to shape them. And finally, giving. Now, you know, many of you give on a consistent basis and I bless God for that. But inevitably, I'm going to talk about this because we've got things that we want to invest into and continually do so in the future. We're blessed in so many ways and God has provided every year. Last year we ended up with a, with a, a surprising surplus and we praise God for that. But, um, you know, one of the lovely things is that uh, every year we always put, I would call it a faith budget, which means that we stretch ourselves a little bit more and we say it's going to take a little bit more into 2024. That's almost a line. Most of it goes towards staff. Over 60%, 65% actually, is going towards staff costs. Only 8% on things like buildings and admin costs, 4%. You know, we, we, don't, we, 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 we run a tight ship. We really do. But there's some amazing opportunities we've got in the next year. We've appointed a great new premises manager. We've got an advert out for a new administrator, which we need as part of the office team. We're going to need a new associate minister. Uh, the conference I'm going to this week, I'm partly going out sniffing out potential. Um, we're also wanting to really press into part of what we're talking about in relation to the Open Door Centre and wanting to reach out again is we'd love to, we'd actually like to appoint an outreach worker, community outreach worker, someone that could really enable us to do that, give a bit of a focus in those things. That's going to take more. We're looking at potential interns. We're looking at some building improvements. The, the chairs are just a small thing in comparison to some of the other things that we would like to just freshen up, make this place of welcome, so that when people come, they can feel comfortable and feel welcomed. You know what? Um, I don't need to give you another giving talk, but what I want to say is, as we give, God bless, is blessed.
and each of us are blessed individually. And on our uh, chairs, there are opportunities for you. Uh, there's a little slip of paper that uh, is that opportunity for you to consider your giving. Uh, maybe to start giving on a regular basis. Uh, maybe to up your current giving. And I just encourage us to look at those in a moment. We're going to have just a minute or so to look at those things. And if you want to, you can fill those in. There's an envelope around, some envelopes around, and put it in the basket at the back. Regular giving is the best way to support us. There's lots of different ways you can do it. Standing orders are the best thing. On Sundays, there's cash, there's contactless. Online through the website. And if you are a taxpayer, 25% from the government is a fantastic bonus. It's all about him. You know, the children of Israel, when they were in, they were provided so much by God. He gave them manna, he gave them pigeons, he gave them a whole load, he provided for them. Even when they moaned and mumbled, he gave to them. You know, God is the great provider. You never outgive God. That's my experience of life. And actually this year, again, every year, Mary and I go to our, our slip of paper and we will increase our giving. Not because we want to be any bigger than anybody else, but we just want to say, Lord God, we trust you again for another year. And we sought to do that the whole way through our marriage. Because we believe that God is a God that will give back and give back and give back. And God went, and Moses went back to God himself. He said, I want to know you. I want your presence with me. I want to see your glory. Let's be quiet for a moment and let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. May this be a place of honour to you, a place of glorifying you. Lord, as we uh, reflect on what I've just shared, Lord, as we think through our, our life, thank you, Lord, that you know us, you love us, and you have a plan for our lives. Just going to give you.